Connie had mentioned the Sylvester Team podcast when we first started this morning. And uh, get a pen and paper handy because these are uh, five podcasts that I'm going to give you that are just kind of the staples that really for new agents and reminders for existing agents to um, go back to. The first one I recommend is uh, number 17 for critical period because that's going to represent about 40% of the business that you will write, and that will make a big difference in learning and mastering that. I have people tell me all the time, oh, yeah, I've listened to that three or four times. Well, until you've practiced it eight or ten times, that's not going to have, do you much good. So practicing is going to be the big difference. The second one is your bank or mine. And this one revolves around the use of our guaranteed issue products where people buy the insurance but they're not covered for the first two years, there's a big tendency for people to say, well, you know, um, if, if I'm not covered for two years, I'll just, I'll just put the money in my bank. And for a new agent, that's difficult to overcome. That, that will lay out the, the groundwork and the blueprint for you to overcome that every, every single time. Number 84 is number three. Uh, that's when Dave Crocker did the uh, IVR and the IPL lead phone script and training for that, it is excellent. Uh, number 112 is an accident plan um, that David has gone over and shows how he uses that to shore up the final expense sales that he makes for critical period. So that's another very good one. And then if you've had a little difficulty uh, setting appointments and the people keeping them, Podcast number 137, it's the yellow card that we use to remind people. And what the yellow card does, it helps you posture uh, the fact that you're busy. A lot of people are doing this. You're going to see somebody, but you're not desperate to see them. And it just changes everything on the other end to the clients not dreading a salesperson coming, but they're looking forward to a consultant helping them. And I think that will help a lot of you in people keeping the appointments. And please use the script that we've laid out there because it's been revised a dozen times over the years. And what's there now gives you the best posture for the client to relate to why you're coming. So those are things that will help make a little bit of a difference for you. Uh, today as I was preparing for the call, I was actually shocked to read and uh, find out that most people who pick up a book never finish it. I mean, I was just shocked with that. And as I went on through that, it became very clear that average people quit. They quit projects. They quit um, jobs. They quit marriages. They quit exercising. They quit dieting. And the list just goes on and on and on, which is why average people are average people. You know, um, quitting a job, you hear the excuses. Well, it's too hard. I don't like my boss. I've got a guy that doesn't understand my situation. You know, when talking about insurance, the client will say many times, well, I'm not interested. Well, if you just understand the 10% rule, you can sell almost anything to one out of 10 people you talk to. Now, the key to it is you've got to talk to people. But, I mean, it, that's, that's why the snake oil people did so well back in the day, because they knew the numbers. If they could get a crowd of 10 people, somebody was going to buy something. Well, if we just have that mindset going into this, guys, I mean, 10 people you talk to, that's one sale in insurance. So even if they are not interested when you first approach people, 
about any particular product, one out of ten is going to buy something. So I made a list of some of the things average people do that prevent them from being successful. And I found this interesting as I was going through this yesterday. One was much watch too much TV. Uh, well, I think the, the news of the COVID has cured a bunch of us on that. So uh, our, our TV had been on in days, maybe even weeks. Uh, the number two thing is they don't track their time. They have no idea, you know, what, what their day is like. Um, many people start their day too late. As a result, they stay up late at night, and it's just a vicious cycle. Um, many make too many assumptions. Well, it costs too much. These people live in a poor neighborhood. One of the agents was sharing with me yesterday that they went into a um, double no, – somebody selling books. We've got some booksellers staying with us. And she made the comment she went into – I think it was a double wide and assumed um, that the messies it was there was no way these people were going to buy the books. And when they got finished, it was like a fourteen or $1,400, 2000000 sale. And the lady went back and peeled off, I think it was $2,000, uh, 20 $100 bills. Turns out her husband is a tattoo artist, and they deal in cash. And she wanted her kids to have those books. So you never know. Don't make any assumptions. Uh, all of this was one here. They lack critical thinking skills. See, when we look at somebody that we're talking to and we're thinking you're trying to sell them some insurance because this is for selling. Guys, it's not for selling. It's for using. Because if somebody, something happens to someone, what in the world is going to happen to that family? So if we can go in with the mindset and the thought process is what's going to happen to this family if I fail in showing them the benefits of what we do? And guys, it's not good. You know, we, we, we hear GoFundMes all the time for people, and it's just not good. So think in terms of that result rather than your result of not making the sale. This is my favorite one. They have a fixed mindset. Now, a fixed mindset, what is that and why is that important? Well, you have two, growth, two, two mindsets, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. A, growth, uh, a fixed mindset says the pie is this big, and if I want more pie, I've got to take it from someone else. Uh, our politicians use that a lot just to drive home how they want to get something done versus the growth mindset. The growth mindset says, no, 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 no. I want more pie, so let's make the pie bigger. That's what Apple's done. That's what Elon Musk has done. That's what Warren Buffett does. They make the pie bigger so there's more pie to go around. Um, Carol DeWick has a book called Mindset, and when you, if you should ever buy it, 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 it has changed my life a lot. We'll talk about it more in a minute. But uh, that's a great book to help along that line. Uh, another reason average people don't do well is they don't take notes. And if they do, they rarely ever review them. Um, the average person, they don't listen to others. They talk about themselves. Well, this is the way I do it. You know, somebody will walk up to me at a convention and ask me a question, and I'm sharing from my heart how I, how I overcome that objection or how I do it, and then they tell me how they do it. Well, if how they do it doesn't work, I don't want to hear how they do it. You know, they ask me a question for advice, so, hey, let's zero in on what does work. Another reason average people don't do well is they feel entitled. They feel entitled. Um, 
And then the next one is one of my favorites as well, is they don't read books that pertain to their jobs, their work, or their goals. You know, uh, reading novels is good for pleasure, but if we're going to get better at our craft, we need to read something that pertains to what we're doing. And procrastination is another area that uh, really uh, slows people down, keeps them from being successful. See, your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development because success is something that you attract by the person you become. And that's a quote from Jim Rohn. You know, um, you attract people by the person you become. See, most of us didn't start out successful. Most of us had to learn a skill, a craft. We learned how to connect with people. But as we got better, we spent more time working on ourselves so that more people were attracted to us. See, average people will say, oh, I know. Successful people will say, tell me more. See, when a, a person says, I know, that closes the door to much opportunity. And, uh, and start listening to this. When you're talking to people, oh, I know. It'll really trigger something in you about that person, and it'll trigger something in you about how people respond and how you want to change your slightly because you want to learn more. See, average people are waiting to have fun. Successful people are constantly learning and never stop learning to perfect their craft. They practice and overcome objections. For example, this is a homework lesson I recommend for everybody today. Make a list of 10 objections that you either perceive that you're going to have or you have had. Pick the top five and start practicing overcoming that objection. After you started practicing it, record it a few times and listen to it and say, ah, you know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't convince me of anything. Then call your manager Give them the objection you're trying to overcome and practice it with them because they're going to have new ideas and different ways to think that will help you overcome that, that objection. Um, read books to learn first and books for pleasure second. Those are things that separate average people from successful people. See, average people usually have no goals. Now, discipline yourself to make some changes Set some goals with a plan to accomplish them. Um, whatever it may be, start small. Just pick a small goal. If, if that goal is every morning to get up and read 10 minutes, that's a pretty easy goal to fix. That's a pretty easy goal to accomplish. Uh, and then add to, to that just to get in the habit of it. See, average people fail. Successful. Well, the average person fail and then they quit. But the successful person fails and fails and fails, but they don't give up. They keep working to the point that they get to that point in time in their life where they are being successful because they just don't quit. When you, when you study much about some professional athletes, how they got from where they are, from where they were to where they are, um, Larry Bird is a classic example. You know, he graduated from high school, an All-American, went to uh, Indiana University, and he and Bobby Knight did not click. And Larry Bird quit going to college at IU, went home, and was driving a garbage truck in um, southern Indiana, 
and the the coach from Indiana State went down and talked to him. He goes, no, 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 you're going to college, and jerked him out of that garbage truck and got him enrolled at Indiana State, and he went on to become an All-American there, and then, of course, you know the rest of it. But he had the, the, the uh, fixed mindset. Larry Bird quit, and somebody jumped into his life and wouldn't let him. So those are some things that are important, and that's what I'm going to do with some of you. You know, believe in your vis- vision and pursue the blueprint to succeed. Uh, declaring your why, why are you doing this? Why do you do anything? That allows you to, it to become a crusade and not just a passion. And let me explain to you what the difference is. See, when you've got your why, and and it's easy to say, well, I have a passion for helping people. I like to help people. But when I discovered that 91% of the people in America, if either one of the breadwinners died, that family was going to lose their home due to foreclosure in nine months. Guys, that was the phrase Barry Clarkson said to me in April of 96 that changed my life. Because being a salesperson, if I saw something I wanted, I just worked real hard, went out and bought it. I wanted a 62 Corvette. And I went and worked an extra half a day a week for six weeks to pay for it. So the idea of the thought that if if somebody lost their job, they were going to lose their home, never entered my mind. Now, of course, I was young and bulletproof and never thought about a disability or a car wreck or something knocking me out of the field. But when he made that comment that 91% of the people in America, if either one of the breadwinners died, that family's going to lose their home due to foreclosure. That didn't become a passion for me. That became a crusade. And the difference between a passion and a crusade is a passion says, I want to do this, bless God. They get to the creek and the bridge out and the creek is up. They go home. That passion just ended. But a crusader, when they get to the end of the road, the bridge is out and the creek is up, they find another way to get across the creek. And when you stop and think about the impact on these families' lives, if we fail them, guys, it's not good. So let's start thinking in terms of this becoming a crusade rather than a passion. Um, Some of the things that that caught my attention on, on why people are not successful and fail is people focus on ideas, not events. See, great minds discuss ideas, average mind discuss events, and small minds discuss people. And that's a direct quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Oprah Renfrey and Elon Musk, they spend most of their time finding solutions to problems. See, that's why people get paid a lot of money. They find solutions to problems. The average people waste their time feeling sorry for themselves and become a victim. And God knows we got enough victims already. You know, um, successful people wake up early and have a routine. See, you, you got a clear mind in the morning. Um, <laughs> I do get up fairly early, but compared to Barry Clarkson, he's got a half a day's work done before I get up. I, the idea of getting up at 4.30 in the morning is just more than I can handle. But 6.30, I can deal with, you know. But 9.30, guys, that's not the way to run your business, you know, because people get up at 9.30, stay up late, and then they get in that vicious cycle. So starting your day early will make a difference. Um, have a growth mindset. I mentioned that earlier on. Carol DeWick, 
this book has probably been one of my favorites, and it has one of the most significant changes in my life when I read that. Uh, now, I say that because mindset, there are three or four different authors of the same title, and Carol DeWick is the one. But guys, that is a tremendous book. Uh, I'm convinced if we taught that in the uh, um, junior high, we would change the next generation of people within 10 years. It's just an amazing book. Um, successful people trust the process, uh, process, not the result. See, average people either don't have a process or if they have one, they don't believe it'll work. Making 250 dials a week, double and triple dialing, call for help after you've talked to five people and haven't set an appointment, find out now what you're doing incorrectly. Don't wait uh, so we can fix it. I'll never forget, had a phone call from an agent probably 15 years ago. He made 150 dials, had 30 contacts, and set no appointments. And he called me, and what I found out he was doing when he got to the end of the pro uh, process of setting the appointment, this was part of our script. I'm going to put 15 or 20 proposals together for you. I'll pick the best four or five out of those. When would be a convenient time to sit down to go over what you qualify for? I have six and a date on Tuesday and a four and eight on Wednesday. Well, what I was doing there is I was kind of taking I was taking control of the situation and laying out what was going to happen. What he was doing was I asked him, I says, Well, what are you saying? He said, Dick, I'm saying the exact same thing you are. I said, Well, let's go through the script. So when he got to that part, he said, uh, I'm going to do 15 or 20 proposals. I'll pick the best three or four out of those to go over with you. I would like to sit down with you. And as soon as he said, I would like, what he did is he negated the process of them making a decision to meet with him. They don't care what you'd like to do. They're going to do what they want to do. I didn't give them a choice to like. I just told them what we were going to do. So I said, take I would like out of your script and call me in an hour. An hour later, you call back. He'd set five appointments. Now, most agents never would have called. They would have done the exact same thing he was doing for three days in a row and quit and been convinced this didn't work. So that's why it's so important that we reach back out uh, to your manager. Another reason... Uh, average people are not successful as they're not patient about problem solving. When you run up against a brick wall, stop, think, and listen. Think about why is someone, you know, requesting information on mortgage protection? See, when they have a lot of life insurance, why would they request that? Well, maybe they didn't think they had enough. So when we run again to that, well, I've got life insurance, I don't need this. No, there was some reason for them to respond to this to begin with, and it's our job to find out what it is. Maybe they know they need more. They've got a lot. Maybe they need more. What's a knee-jerk reaction when you walk into a store? May I help you? No, I'm just looking. Well, why'd you walk into the store? You had some need you were thinking about. So the salesperson in that situation should never ask. That's a stupid question. May I help? What do you... May I help you? You know, they ought to walk up to you, whatever you're standing next to. Isn't that shirt an incredible value? You've shifted the whole tone of the thing. Yes, that is. What size do you wear? You know, you lead them in the process of making a decision, okay? Um, 
maybe the insurance they have is about to run out. They have a 20-year term and there's six months left. Uh, maybe they just want to know how much insurance they need. They don't know. You know, they've got an amount, but they have no idea. Um, there is some discomfort that they had that they cannot describe to you why they sent the letter back. That's, that's normal. Have you ever had a situation where you felt like, I really need something, but I'm not sure why, but I just, I'm uncomfortable with where I'm at? See, it's our job to connect with them and find out what their concern may have been. Not what it is now, but may have been then. So we want to take them back to that time so we can walk them through the process to find out what it is. Now, see, that's how critical period started. When the critical period started, it was sold with the idea if something happened to John, it would give Mary six more months to live in the house. That was critical period. Well, needless to say, that didn't sell so well. It was a great idea but it didn't sell so well. And I'll never forget, I started calling it Equity Protector. And I got chastised quite a bit for it because the company was calling it Critical Period. No, it was Equity Protection because that's what it was doing. And I introduced the idea of Equity Protection, you know, whatever equity they have, keeping Mary in the house six months was futile. It was worthless. But if they had fifty or $100,000 in equity in the home and Mary was going to have to move in with the kids, we wanted to make sure Mary had enough money to make that payment for six months so that she could get that equity out. And uh, that's a great, great example of how something grew from what it was to a way that we could better use it. That's going to represent about 40% of your sales. See, a pessimist will find difficulty in every opportunity, but an opt optimist will find opportunity in every difficulty. I'm going to share something that happened with me as a child that really I had no idea the impact it was going to have on my life. But I remember reading a story about a boy 12, 13, 14 years old in Minnesota or somewhere up in that part of the country, and this foundry had bought all these cannonballs, and uh, they, they had to figure out how to break them open because they couldn't throw a cannonball in a, <laughs> a vat of molten iron to melt it because there might be enough black powder in it, the doggone thing would explode. And these cannonballs had laid around for years and years and years. Nobody could figure out how to break them open. They couldn't cut them with a blowtorch, because as soon as that blowtorch hit the black powder, they would explode. They couldn't cut them with a saw because it was going to get too hot and a spark would explode them. So there they laid. And um, this kid was mowing or weeding or something, and somebody made the comment they were trying to figure out how to break those cannonballs open. And he took five of them home with him, and there was a, a hole in the side of them that was where the fuse was used to, to ignite the, the black powder inside. And he fashions five steel pins that he can drive into the side of that cannonball so tight you can't get it back out. So he fills the cannonballs with water, drives the pin in, leaves them out in the cold in Minnesota overnight in the wintertime, went back out, and all five of them were cracked open the next morning. A 14-year-old kid. And... Uh, he, he never told him what he was doing. He just kept bringing cannonballs home every night and taking them back, cracked open, and, 
And I, I never remember, forget thinking about how creative this kid was. Now, the interesting thing of it is I never thought about it ever applying to my own life, you know, but it had such an impact on me that, you know, this number of years later I still remember it. Now, I, I'll never forget that story, how that short story changed my life because my first real challenge that I can remember using that story, my brother and I had a mowing service. And we had bought a farm all H tractor, which is a uh, back then was a medium-sized farm tractor, and a bush hog. Well, the bush hog was used, and we had to get the blades off the doggone thing to sharpen them. And um, the bolts had been rounded off; they were rusted. And I couldn't get them loose. And I figured out, well, I'll get a two-inch pipe and slide over the wrench. Well, that was the wrench was too big. So, to make a long story short, I doused them heavily with WD-40 to loosen the rust, got a pipe wrench that had a narrower handle and a two-foot pipe, and I put that on there, and it gave me about 30, probably 30, 34 inches of leverage on that thing and got the bolts off because I wasn't strong enough to use the wrench by itself. I needed more leverage. So having the WD-40, the pipe wrench, the two-inch thing of pipe, gave me the leverage to get them off, and um, when I put the bolts back on, incidentally, I did put grease on them so that they would come off easy, but my dad came home, and he was, he was proud, but very surprised that I thought of all the way to overcome the, the, this problem, and guys, in retrospect, I trace it back to that cannonball experience, finding a solution, not become a victim, and making a difference in it. And not long after that situation happened, at that now keep in mind at that time, I was 16 and my brother was 12 when we were running this business. And incidentally, in 1966, a shoe factory worker, and we had a shoe factory in Hillsborough at the time, was feeding a family of four on somewhere between $2,500 and $3,000 a year. Terry and I, that first summer in our mowing grass business, we made and split $8,000 a piece. I was 16 and he was 12. You know, so uh, learning to overcome problems and not becoming the victim, you know, and, and I hope that cannonball story will have an impact with you today because not long after that incident, Terry was 14, two years later, I had a job working at the paper mill, and Terry ran the business during the day, and I mowed at night and on weekends. And uh, it was coming up on a holiday weekend. It was July 4th weekend. I'll never forget it. He's mowing with her farm all-age tractor, which is what they call a tricycle wheel. They have two skinny wheels in the front of the tractor together. He hits a groundhog hole dead on and breaks the wheel assembly off the tractor. Now, fortunately, nothing broke except for the bolts. Well, what's, what's a 14-year-old going to do? Wait till their brother or dad gets home that night. No, Terry had understood how we solve problems. As a 14-year-old, that happened 11 o'clock in the morning. He has a wrecker out there at 1. He had gone and had gotten new bolts, had the wrecker lift the thing up. I should say a tow truck. It wasn't a wrecker. Tow truck lifted up put the assembly back on it, bolted it on, and by 3 o'clock that afternoon, he was mowing grass again. That contract that weekend, we made $2,000. Now, 1968 or 69, maybe, yeah, probably 69, 
that was a pretty big deal to two kids, you know. So this is how we need to start approaching what we're doing with the insurance. What's, what problems are you running against? Let's figure out ways to fix it. The yellow card is a great classic way to fix people not keeping their appointments. You know, setting the appointments, going through what Dave Crocker has done with setting the appointments. These are all ways that you can change how you approach your business and start critical thinking.